You're listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast, episode 44. Alyssa Galleon, the founder and CEO of Celebrate for Good, started her business after her mom passed away from breast cancer. At that moment, she realized that the most important thing in life wasn't about collecting stuff, but about collecting moments you share with those you love. That is why experiences are so important to her and why her and her team strive to make a world where people give experiences instead of material possessions. Founded in 2016, Celebrate for Good has hosted over 45 events that both engage employees and give back to local causes. In this episode, Alyssa and I talk about everything from how she's leveraging technology to take her business to the next level, why in a DIY culture we still need professionals, and the roller coaster of emotions that is leaving your corporate job to go full-time in your own business. I was so drawn to Alyssa's passion for helping others, her impeccable taste, as well as her sense of humor when it comes to the daunting task of starting your own business in your 20s. I was lucky enough to meet and hang out with Alyssa, as well as work with her a bit, and if you're around her for just a little bit of time, you'll be able to tell that she is doing some really revolutionary work that is super unique. Alyssa's down-to-earth honesty is so refreshing and relatable, so I know y'all are going to really enjoy listening to her story and learning from her experiences. So I hope you enjoy my interview with Alyssa Galleon. You're listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast, a podcast all about inspiring female creative entrepreneurs, their stories, experiences, and life lessons. Hear from women working in creative industries who are breaking the rules and doing things their way. Learn from their challenges, struggles, failures, and successes, and get an inside look at their top tools and resources that help them along the way. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Hustlenomics Podcast. I'm your host, Katie, and today I am talking with Alyssa Galleon, the founder of Celebrate for Good. So, Alyssa, I'm so glad you're finally here and that we get to chat. So, would you mind telling everybody a little bit about who you are and Celebrate for Good? Yeah, so Celebrate for Good is a company that helps businesses build an event from start to finish. Uh, So, that could be, you know, a small business, it could be a corporate structure, Um, It really depends on what their needs are. And they use the event builder that's on our website to pick and choose the items that they'd like to include. And that'll allow them to fit what they like in their budget. All of the items have been carefully curated for engagement and experiential kind of feels. And then we do all of the work and a percentage goes to charity. Awesome. So what's your background? Have you, you know, had a lot of background and experience in party planning or were you doing something before you started Celebrate for Good? So... In high school, I was assigned this task of planning a carnival that we had. And the year before I did it, there were about 300 people who showed up. And the year that I did it, 3,000 people showed up. And so I thought to myself, oh, maybe I could be interested in this, or maybe this could be something that I could do in the future. And so for me, I wanted to make sure that I really vetted the good, the bad, and the ugly and made sure that I really liked something because I don't tend to like to hop from thing to thing too quickly, which is funny because I am a millennial. But so I wanted to go through that process to see if I really liked it. And in college, I applied to a whole bunch of internships to event planners. They didn't really have any formal programs. And historically, event planners are kind of control freaks with their brands. So they weren't really inclined to help 
help somebody necessarily. And so luckily there was one woman who she kind of has the same mentality that I do with events, which is you can plan as much as you want, but there's always going to be something that you didn't plan for at the event. And so just having plan B's and thinking on your feet are really the skills you need and you can teach somebody to event plan. And so she was that person that taught me, which was really great. And we did weddings and um, those were crazy. (laughs) And then we came up with a business together called Social Do-Gooder, which essentially was big events that had a percent that went back to charity. The unfortunate thing with that is that public events, people RSVP the same day. And it was really hard to plan for that. So her and I both got busy and that kind of went by the wayside anyway. And she was going to sell me the business so that I could change it into something that would work. And I just didn't have the money at that time. And so then my mom passed away a few years ago from breast cancer. And a week later, she said that she had this voice on her shoulder that would not stop. It was incessant and that she felt compelled to give me uh, the business instead of charging me for it. And so I took that and completely blew it up through a Startup Tucson program, which is an incubator, and turned it into what it is now. So I was doing private events, about 22 last year alone, just for birthdays, anniversaries, et cetera, for anybody who asked that was under Celebrate for Good. But then we really started to focus this year when I officially left my job, which I can get into later too. And it's now corporate only. Um, I think there's a bigger impact that we can make from the money that comes from corporate to nonprofits versus just small time couple onesies and twosies events that are private events. And also they have a little bit more money to (laughs) do cooler ideas. Um, So it was a little bit selfish in that regard. So the background, yes, is in events, but I always had a full-time job on the side. I worked at In-N-Out. I worked at Bed Bath & Beyond. I worked at Living Social for a while. And then my most recent job was a place that we built tech for visitors bureaus. Um, So it was more in the tech space and client management and things like that. So everything that I've ever learned has led me to this moment, but I officially quit my job July 1st and took the plunge. And so far, I don't regret it, but I also feel a little poor. So stay tuned. (laughs) I also love to talk about that. I am in the process of doing the exact same thing. But before we get there, I think it's so interesting, the journey that you had with your business, because it's different than other people. You took over a business that was already there, right? It was already built. So instead of starting from scratch, and I think that's super interesting. So did you go through a rebrand? Did you, um, you know, change anything from what this person that gave you the business was doing before? How did that work changing hands? So technically, I built it from scratch with her. So it really wasn't too much that I had to do because I already knew the ins and the outs of how it would work and just needed it to apply to a new demographic and repackage it a little bit. Um, but I really did have to start from scratch again, um, because it was a completely different idea. So because it wasn't public events, people had to conceptualize, oh, I could do this myself in my house or at an Airbnb or something like that. So now that people finally got used to that idea, (laughs) uh, now I'm like, and we're changing only corporate. So I've kind of been evolving it and being very clear and transparent that that's what we're doing. Not just all of a sudden rebranding and then surprise, it's more of, hey, we're only doing corporate moving forward and we want to let you know. And then we geared the branding around that. I would say the biggest difference between how the business was run before and how it's run now is that I've definitely taken information from the startup community and applied it to a half startup, half lifestyle business. So we're using technology so that humans don't have to be tools. 
and we're leveraging the humans that we have, like event planners, florists, et cetera, all of these 150 vendors that I have all together to do the things that they really love doing. Because honestly, a florist didn't get into the business because they wanted to answer emails all day. They did it because they wanted to provide beautiful creations for all of the people that request them. And so we're helping solve that for them. But I think the biggest advice I took from the startup community is that asking your customers what problems they have and then providing a solution to it versus just building it to see who comes. Because if you overbuild and you spend too much money, it could be something that nobody even cares about. And if nobody loves your brand and they don't love what you stand for and it's Mm -hmm. not a need that they have, then you're not really going to make money at it. And Honestly, that's what we're all doing this for is that we want to do something that we love, but it ultimately needs to pay bills. So I'd say that's the biggest difference between the before and the after and the biggest nugget I learned. And I'm constantly experimenting and judging against that of like who has the biggest pain point and how can we solve it both with our concierge service and the online tool. Awesome. So I was just thinking to myself, you know, a lot of the people that I've talked to are in industries that people in everyday life feel like they can do themselves. Does that make sense? It's like, there's so much out there that we can do with the internet and all that stuff. People kind of get in their mind. They're like, I could do that myself. Why hire somebody else? But I always want to make the point that like, there is a reason there's professionals out there. And so I would love to kind of hear your take on why people, why it's important to have an event planner, what it adds to the experience, all that stuff, just to kind of educate people out there who just maybe don't know a lot about it. Yeah. So I mean, the funny thing about event planning is that you could be doing it for two years or you could be doing it for 50 years, but ultimately two things happen. One, there's always some crazy thing that happens at an event that you cannot plan for. For example, I was helping with a wedding and the bride climbed on a llama. The fact that we had to get llamas to the event in the first place was an interesting story. But then she hopped on the llama and they both fell to the ground. So we had llama drama. But, you know, those are things you can't plan for. And so whether I'm a pro- considered a professional or not, you know what I mean? It's like there are certain things that you, it's a personality trait that you need to have versus skills. Now, the second part of that is that although you could do the job yourself, specifically in corporate, that person is typically the HR person, it's a social committee, et cetera, and their bosses make that decision for them. They say, oh, this is easy. You can do this. And unfortunately, within the corporate space, it typically is a marginalized group like women who end up doing that task. And because they care so deeply, they won't say no, or they feel guilty, they won't say no. And so what's happening is they're putting a lot of emotional labor on their employees. And that's doing a few things. One, it is putting a lot of emotional labor on them. So there's a lot of stress that they're putting on them. Number two, that means if they're doing that, that they might not be doing the job that you paid them to do, which from a CFO's perspective or a business person's perspective, time is money. And then the third part of that is that you sometimes end up with an experience that is lackluster. So, you know, everybody's going to the holiday party thinking that it's going to be Great Gatsby and there's a Costco plate in the corner and a few oddly placed streamers. And that's not what they expected. And so nobody really wins in that situation. And so although you could hire someone internally and maybe even someone who loves doing it, it's not really fair to just expect that of somebody. So that emotional labor thing, if anybody's interested in listening more about that, there's a podcast called Things Your Mom Never Told You. And they actually have a specific podcast episode, which I recommend to everybody, on emotional labor both how females naturally, we take that on 
number two, we're expected to do it a lot of the time. So we're, you know, taking up the well-being of our significant other, our kids, people at work. And because we're empathetic creatures, we just load all of this emotional stuff onto our plate in addition to being put on our plate. And so they actually make a comment on that podcast about how you should just hire out for specific tasks, specifically in the workplace. So not only am I saying it, but I think a lot of people are saying it where it's like, listen, they're not doing their best work. Your employee's not engaged. They're not productive. The people going to the event are not pleased with it. So it's not really a corporate culture angle. So there are a lot of things that happen. And that's the reason why I say people should hire someone because this is all we do. You know what I mean? And for us, that makes it less stressful because I can focus on one niche, which is corporate. I love that. And that's exactly why I asked because a lot of those things, it, I would have never thought about it. You're so, so right. I mean, I've experienced that in the corporate world. Like I can't even tell you how many times, but I would have never had the language to say that it's, you know, that emotional labor. So I'm glad I asked that because stuff you never think about, but you need to. <laughs> and it's interesting. I actually, so I was in Salt Lake for the summer. It's one of our potential cities. So the first four are Austin, Nashville, Salt Lake, and Tucson where I live. Tucson's the main focus right now, <laughs> but over the next year, those three cities will also be a focus. And then, of course, if somebody random out of some other city reaches out, then fine. But that's just where we're focusing, finding vendors and things like that. And I met a woman who, she was an executive at a company, but she was the only female executive. And they were like, oh, you can play in this event and just assigned it to her. And she's like, listen, like, I'm C-suite. <laughs> she's like, not that I'm better than anything. I'm just saying like, C-suite, not my job description, and you're only choosing me because I'm the only female on the team and you just assume that I like doing it. Um, and she's like, and although I wanted to be helpful, it was more of the principle of the thing, you know? So it's that's the most interesting part for me is trying to figure out how can I save those people but speak to the people who make the decisions and make it make sense to them too. So not just we're solving a problem for those HR people. We're solving a problem for upwards of the executive sometimes. So it's hard to say that's our customer because there's any woman in an organization. However, I need to be able to also speak to the CFO, the person who has the purse strings, the HR head, um, the person where it makes sense to them to equate it to numbers. So those hard facts, like this is how many hours are wasted. This is how much money that's costing you. So not only do I have to like have the fluffy stuff down, but I also have to appeal to the people who have the money. Yeah, definitely. I think that's great. You know, you have to think about all of those things to make a successful business. So love that answer. I'm glad I asked. And you did kind of mention that you're starting to expand, which is super exciting. So are you sending out team members? Are you partnering with other companies? How's that working? So there are a whole bunch of partnerships I'm building for referrals, but the people that we have in the cities will be our go-to person. So essentially like a me <laughs> in each of the cities, almost like a community director of sorts. And then the technology really is matching everything else up. So that person really is just like an event planner to get us started kind of thing. And then we start adding people to the team. And then the vendors all operate in those cities. So it's really important to me to make it very hyper-local so that should somebody go on a retreat or they're going for a conference or something to that effect, that they have all local stuff. So that goes down to the beer, the wine, the liquor, the food, if we can, obviously, coffee, obviously not always local, things like that. So that's really important to keep that local so that really we're the only ones who are not <laughs> in that city local. Most times I'm going to have to travel myself right now. And then Tucson is pretty well established, so we should be good there. But yeah, we just want to make sure those people live there and that I can train them and all of that. And then eventually it should be self-sustaining. That's kind of the point. Yeah, definitely. 
I like that you mentioned that you kind of have that criteria of local products when you're choosing your vendors, because it can be difficult to build that list and those relationships. So what other criteria do you find yourself kind of sifting through when you're building your vendor list? Yeah, so I would say the number one thing is aesthetics. So, you know, I always want to support other businesses, but ultimately, like it represents our brand. And so unfortunately, I have to say, "Eh, you don't really fit into what we're looking for. And that like breaks my heart every time I have to do that. But um, (laughs) so we look at their website, their aesthetics on their Instagram, um, how they represent themselves. And then ultimately, you know, we'll have them come to an event as a vendor or something. And then we see how they interact with people. We see how that they show up. You know, that's very important, that kind of stuff. So they are fully vetted because if I'm telling these companies we've carefully curated these people, then that should be the case. And so that's where there's a disparity between us and a traditional startup because all of the startup mentors always say, oh, can you just ingest a whole bunch of data? So ingest a whole bunch of vendors. And the issue is, yes, you can, but how many of those are actually going to be good vendors? How many of them have had floral experience, can accomplish the amazing, crazy things that we want to do in the future? Maybe not everybody. And so ultimately the question becomes, is that person, like if I didn't have to be there, If my event planner didn't have to be there, if we're truly going to make this scalable, that person should be able to show up and perform the work without anybody having to watch them. Ultimately, we do have a person there to make sure everybody has questions answered, but we want to make sure that there's a quality person to start with because we also want them to have the creative freedom. We want to be able to say, okay, the budget is $1,500 and they have this theme or, you know, color scheme or whatever it is that we've integrated into the process. And then I want them to go off and create some crazy floral arrangement that they love because they're happier too. You know what I mean? So that's how we vet those people. And also asking other wedding planners, event planners. There's a company in Nashville called Placemat. They actually have carefully curated private chefs that serve food in your home. So like little dinner parties. And so those are people where I said, okay, you obviously have the quality that I need, but you have six private chefs that we could leverage. So creating strategic partnerships like that, where they've already vetted them. And I know that their aesthetic is there, which means all of their private chefs will have that aesthetic. And I've noticed on your website, you kind of allow your clients to build their own experience, choose, you know, their own venue and all that. So I'm curious, I just was thinking through this process. How do you manage since the clients are choosing it and you're not matching it up on the back end or you might do that as well, but have you come up with experiences where like maybe one venue is not being chosen by anybody and like anything like that? Has that come up at all? Um, It really depends. So like, for example, one venue may never get picked because it's only for 25 people and everybody might be booking a holiday party, which could be 200. Whereas, you know, in March, that person could get booked. So right now we're in the midst of that experimentation to see what people like and what they choose, but aesthetics being first. So essentially the venue is the most specific part of the builder right now. And then after that, you just say, what is your budget for certain categories? So if you say, I want a private chef, this is, I want a one course meal, two course meal, three course meal, and it dynamically changes the price based on the option you choose. And then you go on to things like event activities. So here in Tucson, there's a guy... Uh, his business is called Cumulative. He was the Phoenix Fashion Week winner last year. And he creates these pocket tees. So they're in the shape of Arizona, but he can make custom fabric. So for companies, we could do branded fabric. And then he sews them on live at the event. 
So like experiential things like that, you know what I mean? You can pick and choose and we have general pricing for that as well. So in general, the venue is the most specific thing and then everything gets more broad after that, mostly because right now we can't ensure that a specific person is available yet. But in our 2.0 solution in the next month or two, it actually, when you choose a drop down. So if you say, I choose this venue and I want to have our party on this date, it'll throw an error and say, oh, that one's not available. Or you said you wanted 100 people, but this venue only services 50. You know, so it'll it'll guide them a little bit better. But for now, we had to keep it pretty generic. Yeah, I thought that was such a unique idea. It kind of invites your client into the, the planning process instead of just having it all on one end, which I think is what people are looking for these days, a more interactive relationship right. that you're hiring. So I think that's a really... Well, and so there, there are two things with that too, is that, you know, I think that's what sets us apart from a lot of other event planners. So a lot of people say, oh, you're an event planner. And I'm like, that is true. Um, and so their next question may be, well, why wouldn't I just hire another event planner? And the thing is, we are hiring those same event planners, firstly. <laughs> um, but number two, what we're doing is we're creating a better process for everybody. Because realistically, if you're just hiring an event planner and they have their own process, you're going to be emailing back and forth. You're going to be doing a site visit. You're going to do all of these other things. Versus because we've carefully curated our options, people have a certain level of trust that they're like, yep, go ahead and do it. Or they have a personality where they are so run down that they don't have the time and they're offloading it on us. But they still feel like they were part of the decision. They were able to transparently see what they're getting for their money. And it also reduces the amount of communications overall because they aren't having to ask those questions. They aren't saying, well, what if I do this? And we had to separate the budget from like the logistics because a lot of people would get tied up in, well, what does a menu look like and all of that? And it's like, well, that's kind of why you hire us is we build out this really awesome menu. But ultimately, the biggest thing that matters to you as a company is the budget. So I could give you a whole bunch of different options, but if you know that your budget is 1500 and you've chosen a menu that's 4000 then we end up at square one. And so that's the biggest problem with event planning already is it's just excessive amounts of emails back and forth. And I feel like event planning hasn't changed since Henry VIII, except the difference now is that you send emails instead of walking across a courtyard. So <laughs> that's, that's the reason why we wanted to change it up. But it also reduces the amount of emails and communications for the vendors too. And eventually we'll have a vendor portal where they can actually update their availability and this will make everybody's lives easier. So that's kind of the difference between us and a regular event planner and kind of that's a big question that we get asked all the time. Yeah. And those are just essential things when you're starting your business or people who are listening here and that process of really cultivating that client experience that you're solving a problem that other people aren't solving. Um, so I'm really glad that you kind of broke that down because that is exactly what's going to set you apart. Like you said, from your competitors, if you're solving a problem better or differently. And so, yeah, that's, that's awesome. So let's jump into your experience working full-time as in trying to grow this business. So you said you've been working full-time up until a couple months ago, correct? Yeah. So I was working at the last company for about three years. I had to think about that. Um, so yeah, three years. And it just came to the point where I didn't hate my job by any means. I had great benefits. I you know, love the people I work with. I was challenged most of the time, but it was just like at the point where I do everything 150% and I can very quickly become a workaholic and I have to check myself very often. And so if I didn't leave that job, I would end up in like a state of burnout that I don't know that I could get out of. <laughs> so knowing my personality 
that I get excited about things and then I go really hard on them that I, I actually physically make myself sick. I had to do a pitch last week and I made myself sick because I was going so hard and like not sleeping and you know, so I just, I know those things about myself. And so I knew that was going to happen if I stayed there. So last year I did, I actually did 35 events last year, but 22 of them were paid. So that's why I always say 22 (laughs) and that was working full time. So I knew if I could have that amount of energy while working full time and I can get that done, like what am I going to do when I have the time? And so leaving the job was probably the scariest thing. I did give them eight months notice, um, (laughs) mostly because I wanted to maintain my brand as a person, but no one in the history of ever has done that, I don't think. (laughs) Amazing. And very generous of you. Yeah. And also I was the only person who did my job. I managed a hundred clients by myself and nobody knew how the tool worked that I was project managing. So it was at the point where I'm like, well, I don't want to damage my brand as a person, but also I just, I care what other people think too, probably too much. And I was like, no, I don't want to leave people high and dry like that. And you never know, startup life, you know, might need a backup job. You, you always want to keep that door open, whether that's true or not. That's not my goal, but just in case. And so by the time I left, I had a manual for the two people. They had to have two people replace me, which kind of felt good, you know, from an ego perspective. And then I had a manual created for them. And by the two weeks at the end, I was like, I'm kind of bored. Like, does anybody need help with anything? You need organization? You want me to help you with your email strategy? Like, <laughs> so... But anyway, taking the plunge, I think making the decision was the hardest part. I was having like heart palpitations and like panic attacks, which was interesting because I never, being an event planner, like I like stress and I never had it physically manifest like that. But what's interesting is that the instant I told my boss that I needed to leave in the next six months or so, like that night I slept fine. I didn't have them ever again. And so that would just like told me that I needed to do this thing and I knew I needed to do it, but I was scared to admit it and have someone think less of me or, you know, again, caring what people think. And then I got over that and I was like, nope, I need to do this for me. And so that's what I did. I gave me eight months notice. I left my job July 1st, moved to Salt Lake for the summer. <laughs> and here we are. Yep. That's so funny. I arrived like literally probably right when you were leaving. Yeah. But I have been through that experience. So I totally get that. I mean, I was having a hard time making that decision too, because you're kind of always waiting for a sign, right? You're like, something's going to make me feel like this is the absolute right time, but it really never comes. <laughs> and you have to decide for yourself. I mean, I took a vacation and I worked the entire time. And at some point I was like, this is the sign. I obviously need more time to get my work done. So yeah, it's so stressful and you know, it can be really hard on yourself. But once you make that decision, I, I totally understand that feeling of relief. Yeah. And what's interesting is, you know, people are under the impression, oh, you quit your job. So you must have enough money to do that. And our company had changed private equity firms. So we all got a payout. You know, there were little things like that where it's like, yeah, I had savings. And that's lasted me from July to now. But about two weeks, I had like two weeks ago, I had like a come to Jesus moment where I was like, guys, like I need help. And I had to for me to get the stress out, (laughs) I had to like publicly display like, hey, being an entrepreneur is hard. And I have like $20 in my bank account right now. I'm stressing out. I'm doing Postmates. I'm doing dog sitting, house sitting, any side hustle that I can find until event season comes, which always is like, especially in Arizona, because it's so hot here. It's usually October (laughs) and then after. And so what that did is, although I didn't want to admit that, because I don't think this has failed by any means, that's definitely not the case. 
but I felt a little bit like a failure, you know, because I was like, oh, I should be making more money at this or, you know, what am I doing wrong? And what I was doing wrong is not sharing that with people because the instant I did that, although sometimes when I like go out in Tucson, they're like, are you okay? <laughs> you know, they do the little hug tilt. Um, most of them were like, are you doing okay? And oh, by the way, I recommended you to five people. And I was like, cool. So, you know, I mean, I would hope that they were doing that before, but it sounds like they thought that I had it all together. They thought that I was just killing it and they didn't need to help me. And so I finally asked for help, which is something that like, I don't like doing as an independent lady. You know, I'm like, no, I've got this. And I'm like, oh, I don't have this. So it was like kind of an interesting moment that like, I'm still in the throes of starting up, but also I'm a lot happier, even though I'm stressed. You know what I mean? Totally. Yeah. I totally know that feeling. And like, your job is a seasonal job. And like I started out in photography and specifically wedding photography, and that's a seasonal job too. So it can feel, and for anybody who's in that type of position where they have their busy months, they have their slow months, those slow months could feel like, oh my gosh, my business is dead. You know, like that's terrifying. But I think there's a lot of things you can probably do to plan for those slow months. Do you have anything that has worked for you or that you're planning on implementing in the future? So nothing that's revenue generating yet. I feel like it's just something that I'm going to happen upon and I'm, you know what I mean? And I'm just like not thinking of it. Something that I thought about is maybe like corporate, like summer camp, you know, like, I don't know what we would do where you get out of Tucson because it's too hot. It's like 115 degrees during the summer. So no one even leaves their couch, let alone like ventures out into the world to go to a party unless it's a pool party. So something like that, I think could be good. Um, where it's a little more strategic, but also you have fun events between and maybe you're glamping or something like in the middle of Zion. I don't know if that's a thing. So we'll see what happens with that. But what I've actually told people, I've been doing a lot of pitch competitions that are more geared towards like tech startups, but it's mostly because, not because I think our idea is scalable enough to be like the next Uber, right? Like it could be, but do I really want that in my life? Maybe not. But I do the pitch competitions to get leads and like meet new people and like mentors and things like that. And so something that I've been pitching to people because investors and people like that automatically assume like, oh, you have how many months of non-revenue or which is usually like June to August, typically in multiple states because people are on vacations, et cetera. And they kind of freak out by that. But what I told them is that opposed to other businesses, specifically tech companies who are in the event space, we have a three-month period where we can take a break to reassess. Our employees can go on vacations. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I see that as like a future thing being awesome because event planners never get breaks when everybody else gets them, you know? And so I'm trying to create those opportunities for them to take those breaks, but also that's when we can reassess and pivot or come up with strategy for the year midway instead of going an entire year with something that doesn't work. You know what I mean? So it gives me, me personally, it gives me headspace. And when I was in Salt Lake, I've never gotten so much done in my whole life, probably because I got rid of the job. But <laughs> it was just also really nice to kind of focus on the underlying business and not be working in the business, but on it. So for me, I see it as a competitive advantage. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Like, that's a great way to look at it, just having that, that time. Because like you said, you're busy all the time when you when it is the busy season, event season. So mm-hmm. those three months, it'll actually give you a chance to step back, work on your you know workflows or whatever you want to improve in your business and actually have the time to do that. So love that perspective. So what has been one of your favorite events to plan so far? 
I mean, we've had everything from like a rooftop dinner party where you could see all of Tucson to, which is a novelty in Tucson, by the way, not a lot of rooftop places. We did a pop-up concert in an old warehouse and I used all of the old furniture from the, the restaurant that used to be there. But I would say the most, I would say it's the most fun, be, not because of all of the, like there was no budget. Um, <laughs> this was like a out of the kindness of my own heart kind of event. We did one for Techstars and... It's kind of a big deal in the startup world, Techstars. They help support you. It's kind of in the same realm as Y Combinator, which Airbnb went through as a, a startup incubator. Um, and so they came to Tucson for something called Unsummit. So they had multiple summits in multiple cities to help show how cool that city was. But they didn't have a huge, you know, 10,000 person conference that everybody came to. And so as supplemental to that, we had a dinner party in an old Barrio Viejo home. If you don't know where that is in Tucson, you should look up on Instagram. It's beautiful. Diane Keaton just bought a house there. So everybody thinks it's a big deal. But it's very like Mexican-American style. And so the reason I like this event was not necessarily that it was in such a cool neighborhood because we tend to pick venues like that. But it was really because I had these guys who had all been a part of the startup community, whether in Tucson or out of it. And they see my brand as a lifestyle, right? And they don't necessarily see it as a scalable company all the time. They see it maybe as a small business. And so they all attended this event and one, the two guys were planning it said, we should eat dinner while we're doing a panel. And I was like, number one, no one will remember the food. Number two, nobody will listen to you. (laughs) So it's funny to like see their faces go like, oh yeah, I've seen that happen before. Yeah, good idea. And so it was nice to like, my expertise was honored. And then we opened these huge big doors after the panel and we walk in and everybody got to see the inside of the house and all of this other cool stuff, which used to be an old garage, automotive garage. So anyway, that was really cool. But I think what was even better is afterwards, all of these guys who like didn't really conceptualize or know what I did and being part of the startup tech world, they were like, oh, I get what you do now. This is awesome. This is scalable. You have a great idea. And it was like this little nugget of like, I've been trying to prove myself, I think secretly in front of this crowd because it's the cool thing to be part of the startups, right? And they finally were like, they gave a little validation where they're like, oh no, this is good. I like it. It's cool. And I'll share it. And everybody started following us on Instagram finally. So I like broke through. And so I don't think that was the most inspirational as far as like aesthetics and things like that, but it was the most meaningful to me anyway. That sounds super cool. So just as we kind of close out, do you have any pieces of advice apps, books, podcasts, anything that's been helpful for you as a business owner, as an event planner, as a person in general that you would recommend to the listeners? I would say how I built this on NPR because they highlight the journey of being an entrepreneur, both the good and the bad. But what I really like is that you can kind of see throughout a person's life, kind of the little things that they learned that had to happen in order for them to make this mega success happen. So it makes you feel better when you feel like you're stumbling over things. I mean, I think reading books that are not about business honestly help you more in business. I've started reading a lot more fiction books because I have too many reality books at the moment. You know, I'm always in the reality of my business. I'm always working. I'm always watching videos on it. I'm going to networking things. And it's like, I think you need to take breaks for yourself. And so if you can listen to anything that isn't business related after hours, (laughs) that's actually what I would recommend. Giving yourself a break. Yep, I agree. I am a huge reality TV fan. It gets me out of my head. <laughs> I don't have to think. So I like that. Can you share how everyone can find you on social media and your website and everything like that? 
Yeah, so it's www.celebrateforgood.com. And if you click the button at the very bottom that says see more for some of our events, you can actually see videos and photos of what we've done in the past. So to better answer your inspirational event ideas. And then you can also find us on Instagram at celebrate underscore four underscore good. And it's spelled out for not the number four. Grammar is important. <laughs> well, guys, I'll link to all of that in the show notes so you can follow everything that Celebrate for Good is doing. And I'm so excited to see everything you're going to be doing in the future. And I'll definitely be keeping up with everything. And thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed today's interview. Don't forget that you can check out previous episodes as well as all the show notes at www.hustlenomicspodcast.com. If you want to support the show, you can head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review. Each review means so much to me and it really helps the podcast on the business end. If you want to find another way to support the show, we're also on Patreon. You can find a link to our Patreon on our website. If you have any questions or you have a topic you would like to hear covered on the show, feel free to DM me on Instagram or send me an email. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Hustlenomics Podcast. Be sure to visit www.hustlenomicspodcast.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover bonus content. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or if you want to apply to be a guest, Use the contact form found on our website. Thank you for listening, and until next time, keep hustling.